thank you all for uh, guiding us in beautiful worship this morning in so many ways already. Uh, we're having some printer difficulties, so you're going to have to bear with me while I get my computer to um, give me my notes here. Um, so it's so good to be with you, and uh, so good to see everybody has made it through the cold weather, uh, the worst of it. Um, I uh, have noticed there tends to be a, a great, great uh, concern down here in Texas when snow and ice comes. It was more of a regular thing in Kentucky for me, but uh, now we've seen it and we've survived it. That's great. I always like a little bit of cold weather uh, myself because, uh, especially for Sundays, it gives me a chance to wear all my sweater vest. Um, <laughs> I was laughing with some of my friends around here recently about sweater vest, and uh, the truth is uh, my mom buys me a sweater vest pretty much every Christmas, and so I have all these sweater vests that are stored up in my closet, and uh, uh, this gives me my chance to wear them, and plus there's something you don't know, but I'll, I'll just tell you this. Um, sweater vests are great because uh, they allow me, I realized this a long time ago, um, they allow me to wear nice clothes that I can preach in, and you have no idea how wrinkled my shirt actually is underneath the sweater vest. And this is very important uh, for me, especially, you see, just imagine, imagine this had happened to you, that you had married someone, hypothetically, and they had acted like they were always going to iron your clothes, and then they had kids, and they stopped ironing your clothes. And, uh, but you had already missed the formative period when you could have learned to do that yourself. You needed a solution, and here it is. Uh, so uh, that's just hypothetical. That could have happened to somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let me open in prayer before we talk more about uh, leadership and humility. Lord, you know how much we need you in every way but especially when we come to the depths of evil that grabs a hold of our heart and is built into us from childhood. The devil of pride that ensnares us, would you come and deliver us, O Lord? And let us hear from you this morning the beauty of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want to start by sharing with you this story. Winston Churchill, this is, this is rough, I don't know it exactly, but Winston Churchill once uh, said that, uh, well, this story is told about Winston Churchill. He, he was, somebody was telling him about, a, I think, a German general or somebody, and, and they were saying, boy, this guy, isn't he so humble? He's just a very, very humble person. And Winston Churchill responded, yes, yes, he is humble. But then... He has so much to be humble about. <laughs> I love that line. And I want to tell you, as I started last week, preaching on humility is a tricky thing because you're supposed to understand it. <laughs> you're supposed to have what you're preaching about, right? And if you uh, look up at me and say, oh, man, he's preaching on humility, he must be humble, uh, you can just know I have so much to be humble about. And that's true. Uh, that, that's a, a true statement. When I was a kid, and I only know this story because my dad loves to tell it about me, but I uh, was running in some races in like fifth grade, and I was winning the races, 
and I, was, I came to my dad's office, and I was telling him about winning these races, and he said, Luke, just remember, it's, it's important to always be humble. And I said, oh, Daddy, I am humble. Uh, in fact, I'm probably the most humble boy in the whole school. Um, <laughs> something's off with that, isn't it? <laughs> Pride is this strange thing that uh, uh, you have to have it developed in you indirectly, really. The moment you start to reflect on it, the moment it starts to come up in you. Like we talked about last week, it can grow on virtue just like it can grow on vice. It can grow when you're doing bad just like it can grow when you're doing well. And uh, you cannot just look at it and say, okay, now I see that I'm going to be humble. Humility has to come from God, and we have to approach it uh, seeking God and seeking his way of life and let him build that into us. Otherwise, we are unlikely to arrive at it ever. We may think we've arrived at it. We may tell ourselves some things that make us think we have it when we really don't. This is one of the most important issues we can possibly discuss. And I, I want you to, to uh, really take that in today. And I hope you'll see it in the scriptures. We saw it last week. I hope we'll see it again this week. That um, we've really overlooked how central Jesus made this for us. He taught it with his words. Extreme statements drawing our attention to this. He taught it with his life. And he taught it with his death. And he passed it on to the teaching of the early Christians, through the teaching of the other Christians. And it's with us today, uh, uh, through the scriptures, if we'll open our hearts and pay attention to it. If we're talking about leadership in the church, if it's going to be what God meant for it to be, if church is going to be what God meant for them to be, then both leaders and non-leaders need to take up the scriptural call to humility with new zeal. I want to briefly revisit last week's passage. Uh, remember how we said Jesus was taking a moment before he died? I mean, this is amazing that this is what he wanted to do. He's going to be betrayed this night. He's instituting the Lord's Supper. We all understand that's really important. But he does something else that we haven't always heard important. And that's he, he stops. And because none of the disciples wants to take the place of a servant, none of them wants to get down and do that menial task that should have been done upon entry into the room, Jesus gets up from the table, takes the basin and towel, and washes all his disciples' feet. And he says to them as he's talking, he says to Peter, first of all, you don't understand what I'm doing for you right now. But one day you will. And then he looks out at the, the whole group when he's done, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? That's the question for the church today. Do we understand what it is that Jesus did for us? Do we understand that he showed us something entirely different? And I want to say that as long as the church is content with the pettiness that goes on so frequently, and I don't even have to give examples because those of you who are old enough have been around a while, you already know what I'm talking about. The fussing and fighting and dividing and competing and grasping for power that goes on in the church, grasping for recognition, these kind of things that go on in the church, as long as that is allowed and accepted and not openly combated, we don't yet understand what Jesus did for us. And if we really understand what he did for us, it means a change 
of life. It means a change of culture. It means an entirely different way to be in the world. Do you understand? Jesus looks at the church and says, do you understand what it is that I have done for you? Pride, we know pride destroys families. It destroys churches. It destroys friendships. And we keep talking about other things. Pride is the root cause of so much divorce, of so much war. I mean, you want to go from personal relationships to national relationships, international relationships. It's the cause of so many broken relationships and broken churches, and yet we keep talking about other things. We keep making other things the object of our desire, other things the object of our prayers. And it's like somehow we've concluded that, that it won't do any good, that Jesus won't really help us with pride. Or else somehow we've just developed blinders where we don't really see that that's an issue in the scriptures, as clearly as the scriptures make it. And today, this week, this month, is the call for us as a church to take a hold again of what Jesus gave to us and to recognize what he's done for us. We'll pick back up just briefly in the passage that we covered last week. Do you understand what I've done for you, or to you, So this translation? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, verse 13, for so I am. Now, I want to just pause briefly there and, and say something to you about humility. Humility does not mean self-hatred. And humility does not mean saying or believing bad things about yourself. That's, that's super important, especially for people who have been put down and rejected, but for others as well. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about humility. We're not talking about being able to deflect compliments. And, and we talked about this this morning in the class. We can possibly confuse ourselves about what humility is and think we have it when we don't because we're good at deflecting compliments. Or we know how not to brag. Most of us are much better at not bragging than we are at actually having the heart of humility. Jesus did not say, well, now, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, but you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, you could be teacher and Lord, Peter. Thank God he didn't do that. Humility does not mean thinking poorly of ourselves. Humility means thinking accurately of ourselves and thinking less of ourselves in terms of frequency. That's why there's a, there's a great connection really between humility and honesty. In humility, we learn to speak the truth to ourselves about ourselves. Have you seen these studies? I should have looked it up again. And, and I think it's something like when they've, they've, they've done studies on college professors and like 92% of them think they're above average in terms of their teaching. <laughs> now just think about that. I'm not a good math guy, but I know that doesn't work. <laughs> you can't have 92% of the people be above average. That means a lot of people are thinking of themselves higher than they actually are. <laughs> 
What humility does is it invites us to embrace the truth. Whatever that is. Because other things, this is going back to last week, other things are already in place. Most foundationally, our life with God is in place. And we know we are his beloved. And our security is grounded in the God who made us. And in light of that, then we can become honest with ourselves. Humility is not the same thing as modesty. Modesty is good as far as it goes. It's better than boasting. (laughs) Um, But modesty can actually cloak from us how prideful we are. Well, I just dismiss anything everybody says is good about me, I always dismiss it. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm humble. Humility will show up more when someone strongly disagrees with you than when they're giving you a compliment. That's when you'll find out more about how humble you are. Right? That's when my pride shows up. And are we, are we able then to look at people and say, I don't have to have the last word. People can say things to me and correct me, and I don't have to come back at them. That's what humility does. By the way, if you're going to let somebody have the last word, I know this from experience, it's not true humility if you tell them you're letting them have the last word. Right? <laughs> I've done that with Olivia. It didn't get me very far. Right? She didn't say, thank, oh, thank you for your humility, Luke. Yeah. That, that's not the way you do it. Right? But you, you genuinely step aside and say, I can be taught, I can be corrected, I don't have to defend myself. I can lay down the burden of defense. Right? That, that, that's where humility takes us. And we need to be very careful that we don't just embrace, as we talk about these ideas, we don't just embrace this idea and say, oh, I'm the most humble boy in the whole school. <laughs> because I know how to say, oh, no, no, don't, don't give me a compliment. Oh, I'm, no, that's not, no. You know, put, deflect that. That, that's not real humility. It reminds me, I think maybe Bob Hope said this a long time ago. I'm not sure. Some comedian said, sincerity, sincerity, that's the ticket. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> I think it's similar about humility. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. But we don't want to be faking humility. We want the character of Christ. Right? And the character of Christ pervades everything else then. Where I want to move to today, there's more we could talk about in this passage, but I want to move you down to the very bottom here, verse 17, where Jesus said to them, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now here's here's what I want you to hear in this passage. We read these blessed statements sometimes, and we make them very, very mystical, spiritual, way off in the the never-never land, kind of like, oh, blessed, blessed are you, my child. Whatever that means, right? One day you'll be blessed in the great by and by if you stick through this. Or in some way that you'll never know there's a blessing attached to it. I don't think that's what Jesus meant with these blessings that he gave. What Jesus means is your life can flourish. And the blessing of God will be on you in a way that you know. If you embrace the life that I'm showing you. This is, this is the way to holiness. And the way of holiness is the way to happiness. This is why, uh, this is the broader conversation we had. Whenever we're talking about the teachings of Scripture, the commands of God, we're always talking about the beautiful life He wants to give us. Do you know that? God never wants to drop burdens down on people and see if they'll carry them. 
God invites us into flourishing life. And what Jesus is telling us here is that you guys, you've attached yourself to a way of being in the world that's actually destructive for you. And if you want to live in blessedness, learn what I'm telling you. That's why Andrew Murray says, humility, I've titled this the sermon here, humility is the deep happiness of heaven. I love that phrase. The deep happiness of heaven is humility. C.S. Lewis has a great uh, chapter. If there's two things I'd recommend for you to read with humility outside of the scriptures. One is Andrew Murray's book on humility. And the other is C.S. Lewis's chapter called The Great Sin in Mere Christianity. And if you need to get in touch with it and you don't have the book or you need help finding it, let me know. Um, I'd encourage you all to read this chapter, The Great Sin. I read it so many years ago, and it struck me then as amazing. And I want to just uh, read some of it to you right now. Lewis saw this idea of blessedness that Jesus was trying to teach us in humility. Listen to how he explains it. Sorry, that's a little bit small print. I hope you can see. God and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with him, you will, in fact, be humble delightedly humble. Just sit with that for a minute. If you really get in touch with God, you'll be delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. God is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible, trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we have all got ourselves up and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. (laughs) I love the way Lewis communicates. I wish I'd got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self, with all its, look at me, and aren't I a good boy? And all its posing and posturing. To get, get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody, Probably all you will, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You see, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's like a drink of cold water to a thirsty person in the desert. And Lewis got it. Blessed are you if you enter into these things and you know how to live this out. You can let go of all the silly, fancy dress, whether it's your, your intelligence or your looks or your money 
or your background or your people or your church or whatever it is you're using to elevate yourself above others that's always insecure, always threatened, always could be exposed for not being adequate. You let go of that and you find yourself in God as his beloved child. And you say, now, okay, I can just be present to you. And this is where humility and love go together. Humility is self-forgetting. Love is other regarding. We talked about that last week. And this is where we find the blessing of kingdom life. This is what we're invited into. I want to really just briefly today talk about the passage that we read this morning. Thank you guys for doing such a good job reading for us. This is uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 5. The disciples were always asking these questions about greatness. And Jesus was always trying to beat it out of them. Because they weren't getting it. And uh, last week we read Mark chapter 10, where they were arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus pointed to himself and he said, The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here in this passage, they're asking the same question Who's the greatest? And notice what Jesus does. He calls a little child. I'll say a little bit more about what the child meant to them in a second. He calls a child to them, and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn. Now just stop right there, okay? He says, unless you turn. And it's not the same word that we translate repentance, but it's basically the same idea. And it's, it's very interesting to me that Jesus stops right here with these disciples and he, and he says, you have to change. And I ask you this morning if it's a message you need to hear from Jesus as well. We would like, many times we would like to walk along the same path we've been on and have God sprinkle on top of us the things that we read about and never actually change anything ourselves. But Jesus, as he's watched his disciples continue to argue about this question, he says to them, guys, unless you turn, you're never going to get it. This is a hard thing sometimes to say. As we talked about last week, we live in this self-esteem culture. And people want to come to church and they just want to feel better about themselves. And I want to make people feel good too. I don't have a problem with people feeling good in the right context and on the right grounds. But sometimes we have to preach messages that we haven't yet fully heard, that the church has not preached clearly to us. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And I ask you today, if you need to hear the message from Christ, you've got to change. If you really want what he holds out, you have to change. Let me just say as a sidebar here that in Christian theology, change is never just about you. And we're talking about deep, deep issues here. In Christian theology, change is always about the Holy Spirit working change in us. We are active, but it's as God is active within us. And I want to say that in this sermon especially. It goes for everything we teach about Christian behavior. But especially in this sermon because we can hear things like this and think, yeah, beyond just basic, basic not bragging, how do I do that? And that seems so deep and so difficult. God works. That's how. We seek it, but God is the one who delivers it. And we cannot preach to people the highest obedience 
and the lowest spirituality. We cannot tell people obedience to Jesus is for today, but the power of Jesus is for the past. What we're talking about is the power of Jesus in us, his new nature given to us so that we become people of humility. This keeps us from thinking the burden is all upon us. And then Jesus says to them, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Where else do you find Jesus saying something that strong? Hard to think of things where he says something so strong. Unless you become like children, you're never going to get it. And we're talking, we'll say a little bit more. Obviously, he's talking about humility here. The next verse says, humble yourself and become like a child. Not just anything about a child. right? Not just being uh, dependent and carefree or whatever, but it's, it's humility. Now, what, what I want you to think about is, what would we have done with this verse if it, would, if it had been attached to something else besides humility? What if it had been one of our favorite doctrines that you have to believe? Unless you believe X, you will never even enter the kingdom. Unless you're baptized in the right way, you'll never enter the kingdom. What would we have done with that? At least some of us, we would have been preaching that. We would have been writing tracts about it. We would have been pounding the pulpit, making plaques to hang on our, our wall with that. What have we done with this teaching? Is it not the case? Now, now, if you've had a different experience, praise God. But is it not the case that in many churches, we've hardly noticed these verses? Now, we let, we, I, mean, I say these verses, not just this one. Last week, Jesus takes the time before he dies to give them an object lesson in humility they'll never forget. He says to them that this is who I am, the greatest. In Mark chapter 10, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. He says to them here in Matthew 18, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, you don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Is he, is he getting it across to us that this really matters? How can we expect the church to ever be what Jesus meant for his people to be if we don't let him tell us what's most important? Do you hear the words of your Lord this morning? Now, I don't want to turn this into kind of a... uh, a guilting kind of burden where people feel like they need perfection. We, we never want to preach that. That's not the way Jesus lived among those he taught. He accepted people who were just on the journey, right? And that's what we do too. And uh, we, we don't say you've got to have all this worked out. And I don't think that's what Jesus meant to say. Unless you arrive at this pristine state of per- perfection and, and humility, you don't ever get in. No, that, that's not what he's getting at. But he is getting at a change of direction, where we learn instead of seeking the upward path to exaltation, we seek the lowly path. And we let God build into our hearts and humility as we seek a different way. We change directions and become people who are servants. 
Children in antiquity were low-status individuals. Uh, that's hard for us to grasp. They were such a status-conscious society, and it mattered so much who you were on the, on the scale. And uh, the reason Jesus chooses children here is at least partially because of their status. They were nobodies. They were people who were vulnerable. They were dependent. They didn't have lots of things that they could say, hey, look at us about. They needed others to, to provide for them. And, and they, weren't, they weren't even viewed today. I mean, people love them. Parents, you know, that's in, intuitive. It, it's innate in parents to love children, but not like today um, where uh, we tend to glorify childhood in such a way and, and uh, uh, we don't view children as low status, like, like they would have been maybe in category more with servants and slaves at that time. And uh, that's, that's what makes this passage carry more weight. And we have to kind of shift our thinking to really grasp what he's getting at here. Uh, to welcome a child then, like Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. That's not just, oh, I can be sweet to kids in our society, right? Because that's a lot easier today. What, what this is, is, is like a, an act of hospitality towards the lowly. You remember how, how the disciples wouldn't let the kids come to Jesus? Get them away from him. He's too important. And Jesus was indignant with them. He says, what are you doing? But you see, Jesus was fighting against the culture when he did that. Jesus was changing the way people thought about things when he did that. He said, of course, don't, don't stop the kids from coming. Let the children come to me. But that's who Jesus was. Jesus was the one who came as a servant. He didn't come to be served. So to welcome a child, yes, we can do it with children in a way, but really to welcome a child in this context is to serve those who we would think naturally should be serving us. It's to step down and, as I believe it's the Apostle Paul writes, associate with the lowly. No matter who you are, no matter how good you think you are, you step down and associate with the lowly. So I had a friend back in, uh, well, years ago when I was getting a master's in, in California, and uh, he was single, and he met a homeless man, and he had this homeless man living in his car for I don't know how long. I was so impressed with what he'd done. But you see, that, that's welcoming the lowly there. That's stepping down and being a servant of servants when you do that kind of thing. And what's, what's so huge about this passage here, there aren't many places in the scriptures where Jesus says, when you do that, you're doing it to me. But he says this here, when you welcome them, that's me. I always want to pay attention when the scriptures say, you do that, you're doing it to me. When we follow Jesus on his path to lowliness and enter into the lives of the lowly, welcoming, accepting, graciously taking time, giving of ourselves, we're actually doing something in a different way, in a direct way to Jesus because he is with those people. Well, I want to close just with one final point to come back to where we, we started. And uh, as, you, as you just internalize these scriptures, uh, I want you to think about the joy that is offered to us. This is, this is, I say it's a final point. I'm circling back to where I started. But uh, uh, in talking about 
children. The first point is that they are these low-status people who can be welcomed. But I don't think it's uh, unjustified that we might think about what else could be implied by this. And when Jesus calls a child to him and says, you've got to become like children. See, children were low-status, but also generally children don't care. <laughs> it's not that children are perfect. They've got a lot of problems. But usually they're not too concerned about their status. Well, that's not dignified. You want to ride a pony? Well, I don't know. I mean, who's watching? No, yes, I'll ride a pony. <laughs> I don't care if I seem undignified. Right? Especially smaller children are, are this way. They receive things with immediate enthusiasm because they're not inhibited by the prideful considerations that many times adults are. And that's the way we enter the kingdom, you see? We receive it with immediate enthusiasm without saying, oh, what, what's this going to do to me with other people? How are they going to look at me? What I? Yes, God's giving the kingdom. I'll take it like a child. And as servants then, as lowly children, joy-filled children, we can live going forward. Do you ever wish that uh, there were ways you could go back to being like a child? To kind of the freedom and joy? Uh, of course, not in every way. <laughs> we don't want to go back to, to bad parts of childhood for sure. But uh, most of us can identify with that kind of a desire to have that kind of freedom and joy. I love adults who are like that, by the way. Um, adults who don't have to take themselves too seriously. You see humility in adults. I'm not talking about people who are just acting foolish to get attention all the time. I just mean adults who can be adults and still take themselves with a grain of salt, <laughs> still be lighthearted. I, I love that. I think we know uh, people like that when we see them and we're like, man, that's beautiful and that's good. And I think Jesus is inviting us into a life like this. Wouldn't it be great if God wanted to decorate his world with joy-filled children, people with that kind of heart, people who are ready to dance and sing and laugh without being afraid of what people think about them, without being concerned that they lose their dignity before other people. This is why Andrew Murray calls it the deep happiness of heaven. I want to say to you that... Uh, we're talking about this with leadership. Next week we're going to get into more details of what the Scripture says about leadership. But leadership will never work in God's community, in the church, unless the Spirit of God revives humility among His people. It will never work like God means for it to work. This life of service is an incredible call that Jesus gives to us. I want to leave you with the words of Andrew Murray. Is it any wonder that the Christian life is so often feeble and fruitless when the very root of the Christ life is neglected, is unknown? Is it any wonder that the joy of salvation is so little felt when that attitude in which Christ found it and brings it is so little sought? Until such a humility be what we seek in Christ above our chief joy, and welcome at any price. There's very little hope of a religion that will conquer the world. You see that what Andrew Murray got was this was Jesus. 
This was his life. This is what he poured out on the world. And we haven't sought it. We haven't made it a chief concern. And that's one of the reasons why many times our religion is powerless. This is what he, what he showed them. This is what his death was. You realize Jesus died a slave's death. An ultimate act of humility and humiliation. It was forever pointing the way for us to know how to live. It changed the world for the Apostle Paul, who was a genius, who had advanced among, among all the people in his, his world. He was a true genius. And yet he, he could say, uh, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. He could say, I'm going down into the way of humility because that's where I connect with Christ. Changed everything for him. That's why George MacDonald wrote, and I'll, I'll say this uh, to you again. And praise team, if y'all want to go ahead and come on up, uh, uh, I'll give you these words in, in the poem, the beautiful words to close with again. The man who was Lord of fate, born in an ox's stall, was great because he was much too great to care about greatness at all. The Lord give us the Spirit of Christ.